1: Welcome back, my fine feathered friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson, and today I am once again joined by the one and only Carlos Welch, who's back for a third time on CPG, and I could not be more thrilled. Don't tell Andrew Brokos over at the Thinking Booker podcast, but I'm secretly dreaming Carlos will one day reach out to me about being a regular co-host of CPG. He's just the kind of dude that once you get to know him, you want to spend as much time with him as you possibly can. Unfortunately for your favorite podcast host, you're about to learn that getting chances to chill out with Coach Carlos are rare opportunities indeed. As far as his poker credentials go, Carlos is an MTT beast who regularly battles in the biggest buy-in MTTs on Ignition. He's a writer for Poker News and Tournament Poker Edge, and he's also a co-host on the aforementioned Thinking Poker podcast. In today's conversation with the always great Carlos Welch, you're about to learn how to avoid paying resort fees so that you can stay at the Rio during the WSOP for a paltry $30 or so per night. Why Carlos always prefers playing on his own dime, lessons and meditations on the blessings of both giving and receiving, and much, much more. Before you dive into this episode with Carlos, I wanted to take a moment to let you know about my latest mini-course, Neutralize River Leads. NRL is powered by mass data analysis, which means the strategies were built based on what folks are actually doing instead of what folks theoretically should do. Neutralize River Leads is a pay-what-you-wish mini-course so that you can experience the raw power of MDA at absolutely no upfront cost. You can grab your copy at ChasingPokerGreatness.com by joining the daily newsletter. And now, without any further ado, I bring to you one of my all-time favorite human beings in the world of poker, the always inspiring and entertaining Carlos Welch. Carlos, good afternoon, morning. I'm not quite sure where you're at right now. So afternoon for me. I'm
2: um, um in California. So um it's it's um oh what is this? It's ten AM. Do you call it's not afternoon, it's not quite morning. What
1: That's the hell do morning. you call ten AM? To to the yeah. listener in the poker demographic, <laughs> ten AM is morning, I think. That's true. That's true. You know, afternoon is morning for me a lot of days. So what you been up to, man, like since the last time we talked, you're, you're one of the rare CPG round three members. Um, you're in that exclusive club. So what you been doing? I know last time we spoke, you were kind of uh, locked in, right? Yeah, I was um, trying to avoid COVID.
2: Um, still doing that, but to a lesser extent, because I've been fortunate enough to get vaccinated. but. You know, my life was pretty um, quarantined before this thing even started. Uh, So I'm still basically doing what I was doing before. Um, Not spending as many nights in the car as I used to, but just um, bouncing around to various cheap hotels on the West Coast between San Diego and Vegas. um, And just trying to avoid humans and playing a lot of poker. Why why you're not sleeping in your car? Poker's been going pretty well. I got a little excess money right now. <laughs> and um, um hotel rooms are pretty cheap. So like I don't mind um um staying in hotels as long as I can get them really cheap. And I actually have something. Let's just start this thing off with a bang. Sure. You know, <laughs> I have like a a little uh tip for your listeners if anybody else is in. <laughs> a similar situation to me, which I know is um is unlikely. But I'm currently, so we know Live Poker is starting to open back up, and we have the WSOP in, what is it, October? And so because I'm not a degenerate gambler, I don't have, oh, I'm not a degenerate gambler and I'm not a high-stakes poker player, so I don't have a diamond card. But through a little research, I found that Wyndham Hotels is doing a special for this year where if you stay 24 nights in their hotels, you can get their highest level of um, what they call it, like uh, the rewards program. And um, Caesars will match that with a diamond card. So, I'm basically bouncing around to like cheap hotels um, around like 40, 50 bucks a night um, with a discount they're also running. And after 24 nights of that, I will qualify for a diamond card. So, if there's anyone else that's doing a little bit of traveling, this is like one of the easiest ways I found to like get a diamond card without
1: losing your ass at the uh, craps table. So, educate me, Carlos. What does a diamond card entail? A diamond card. But the main reason
2: I want it is because if you get a diamond card, you can stay in Caesar's properties without paying the resort fee. Mm. And, um,
1: which is like 40 it, bucks a night, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so for a guy like me who spends a lot of times in hotels, that's amazing because you can stay. Okay. So I'll, t- I'll show you, I'll tell you one of the things I'm really looking forward to. Um, uh, If I get this diamond card, I can spend five nights at the Rio for around one hundred and fifty dollars total.
1: Total, total. Holy cow! How (laughs) how is that? I guess they they're running. I guess because of COVID, they have these crazy discounts.
2: No, the hotels are always cheap. Are always cheap in Vegas, but they Mm. just add. But but they kill you with the resort fee. Like the Rio, you can book the Rio for around thirty bucks a night. But then you have to pay like a $30 or $40 resort fee on top of it. And then for me, that makes it not worth it. But if I can get this diamond card and not pay the resort fee, then it's worth it all of a sudden.
1: Yeah. So let, let's let do the math here, right? So 24 nights at 30 bucks a night, that's going to run 40 bucks a night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's going to run you like, what, $920, something like that?
2: Yes. Somewhere in that ballpark.
1: Yeah. And then... If you stay 25 nights at a Caesars Resort, it basically pays for itself.
2: Yes. And um, someone like me will probably, even before the WSOP and after the WSOP, I'll be in Vegas. So I will get all the value out of that card.
1: I, that's a great tip, man. That, I, yeah. it, I, I'm going on vacation in a couple of weeks. It makes <laughs> me a little sad that uh, <laughs> it's already booked.
2: Yeah, and, and and the thing is, for people who aren't nomadic like I am, that can be kind of a a um, stretch to spend twenty four nights in a hotel. But I was doing that anyway, and so um. But the difference is, before I started doing this, I was in a cheaper hotel. If you, if you can believe it, I found uh, you know decent hotels even cheaper than forty bucks a night, and those were around like thirty bucks a night. But they didn't have this extra benefit. So to me, it's really only like a $10 difference for 24 mm-hmm. nights. So it's a super good, I basically feel like I'm buying a diamond car for 24, for 240 bucks.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty good deal. Um, yes. So you're, you're traveling around. So are, are you exclusively sticking to the West Coast?
2: Yes, I was in Atlanta for the holidays. I came back um, around Christmas to San Diego. And I've been bouncing back and forth between San Diego and Vegas since then.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Next time you're in the Atlanta area, give me a shout. I know, uh, basically I I want human interaction. I guess you you don't love human interaction. So maybe that's, maybe that's a no go. Um, Um,
2: I am paranoid about the virus, so as I'm, I'm I'm happy to meet with people as long as they're vaccinated. Like I'm, I'm less worried for myself now because I am vaccinated, but I also don't want to like you know spread it to anyone else. Even though,
1: nah, man, I I went to Mercedes Benz. My wife and I were vac fully vaccinated, so. Yeah, nice. I'm I'm feeling good about getting out and talking to other human beings or just being a, <laughs> a part of society. Like I, I'm pretty you know, I'm I'm kind of like you in that I'm mostly a shut in, I think, mm-hmm. just the online poker lifestyle. But I do require some human interaction, I found just <laughs> random going out <laughs> to trivia night once a week type thing. I, I miss I miss dearly. I love,
2: I love trivia nights. So if that when when the world opens back up and I'm in and I'm in Atlanta, we definitely have to hit a trivia night. Cool, I man. love those.
1: I I can tell you how it'll go. Uh I won't <laughs> I won't carry you at all. I need carrying. I never win. And every time with like six people, I make us go all in on the final question and we miss it every time and everybody <laughs> walks away disliking me. That's how <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sounds about right. Sounds about right. (laughs) And I am pretty hardcore about it. Like I used to go with my ex a decent percentage of the time. I mean, a a decent number of times and um, that contributed to her becoming an ex.
1: (laughs) Oh man. Trivia night. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, for what it's worth, I know what I don't know. So I will defer on, uh, on the questions. I, I don't get married to them, but I also know enough game theory to know like I'm in fourth place we gotta, we gotta go all in on this final question. Like what, what other option do you have?
2: Yeah, I'll tell you what she did that would annoy the hell out of me is I I was always like, you know, the, um, the main person on the two, on the two pr- uh, person team here. And so if it was something I definitely knew, I would just go with my answer. But if it was something I was like unsure of, I had an answer and then she would have an answer and we would both be unsure I would say, well, I am i don't really know, so we can go with your answer. And just ah, I don't want to go with mine. Let, let's go with yours. And then we'll go with mine, and then it'd be wrong, and hers was right. And she's like, see, we should have with mine. <laughs> <laughs> that would tilt the hell out of me.
1: <laughs> yeah, she doesn't want any – she wants all the credit, but none of the responsibility. Like
2: Exactly, exactly. <laughs>
1: ah man
2: but 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 yeah you know something you you mentioned something that I've had a conversation with friends about recently something that I I kind of knew but didn't realize how uh big it was this like need like desperate need for human interaction that the majority of people have like I guess I've been blind to it. Like, so I'm an introvert, obviously. And I could go months without seeing another human and be completely happy. And I knew other people were extroverts and like they enjoyed that sort of thing. But I didn't realize the number of people that actually need that to where they are suffocating right now. And like, there's so many people that are like really having some, really bad mental problems from this and I, I my eyes was open to that talking to um various friends who are like that or know people that are like that and like like so many people that are like turning to alcohol or drugs or whatever because they just can't handle spending this much time by themselves and that kind of like blows me away cuz i'm the exact opposite like i might have a mental break breakdown if you force me to go to a party, you know, four nights a week.
1: But oh, other people, it's like the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm good in these, right? Like these one-to-one talks are with people that I know and that I'm comfortable with. But yeah, like yeah. basically the ext- extroverts get energy from socialization. So they get energy at those parties, right? Where you and I, it sucks our energy. And that's why, that's why we go crazy after like four times, but like the extroverts of the world, I mean, they haven't been able to go to these parties to get that energy that they need that makes them happy. And yeah, I think it's, it's part of our biology that human beings do require socialization. There's, I know there was a, they did a study a long time ago on Russian orphans and these Russian babies didn't have any human interaction for like the first year of their lives, um, which is obviously horrific, but all of the infants ended up having um, basically developing disorders, all kinds of mental disorders, mental retardation, just because they didn't have human touch for the first year of their lives. Like that's how, important it is for human beings to be around other humans and feel touch and be socialized so yeah it's a it's a crazy social thing that's happened over this past year where humans have been like well i guess not all humans you know i think that for the extroverts that were just like you know hashtag yolo they just kind of went for it anyway um consequences be damned Right. But um, yeah, I, I think for the ones that were more responsible, there is a mental health price to pay for locking yourself in a house for a year.
2: Yeah, here's a question for you that came up in my conversation with my buddy. Mm-hmm. Knowing that um, human interaction is so important for so many people and at times we're gonna be in situations where we can't have that it would be helpful if we had some tool or some education in life that prepares you to be comfortable spending long amounts of time by yourself, but we couldn't come up with many things in life that kind of prepare you for that like do you do you can you think of anything
1: not really I think that due to, you know, Zoom, video conferencing, that sort of thing, I think that's – that's it's not ideal, but mm-hmm. it's okay because you still see people and can talk to people. You're just not, like, in their presence. But I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know of a substitute for another human being. I can't really we, – it, we, yeah. we, we
2: thought of two things. One, I disagree with it. So the, the one thing that my buddy who's a religious guy – told me was prayer but maybe I'm seeing this wrong because I'm not a religious guy but when I think of prayer I think of something that yeah a lot of times you do it alone but in other other times it is kind of like a group thing like people go to church it's it's just another way of like socializing or I've heard things where like someone is going through a hard time in their life and they ask other people to pray for them like to me even that is like Um, a little bit of human interaction. So that one was kind of like, it could go either way to me. Uh, I'm I'm thinking with my poker mind. So I was about to say it's a mix. (laughs) 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 But But the one that we came up with that I agree with is meditation. Like meditation is a thing where if you can get into that, that's something that you pretty much always do alone. And it makes you more comfortable being alone. So I think... Like maybe if we could like teach meditation in schools, I'm a substitute teacher and I've been in certain classes where they actually do teach that in the Portland area. But where I grew up with, where I grew up in Atlanta, which was also, you know, a different time, obviously that was not offered in schools. But I think if that was as common as PE, a lot of people would have dealt with quarantining a lot better than they currently are.
1: Yeah, and so that that is, for me, gaining comfortability with being around yourself and being yeah. in your own body and being in your own thoughts, you know? That's like – which, of course, on the flip side of technology, that's sort of the downside is that we avoid being with ourselves almost always because we have phones, we have social media, we have – Netflix, you know, we we have something that's always sort of attracting our attention besides being with ourselves. And this was, this was something that I I realized. um, I mean, I've known it forever, but I realized just how like, insidious, I guess it is. I was taking a bath at night, I had my uh, ate my edible at eight. So it's always a, I enjoy my edibles at eight. Um, I actually enjoy alliteration um, probably more than anything, but... Oh, me too. <laughs> I, uh, it's one of those things where sometimes I experience ego disassociation. So it's... In a way, I feel like I can see more clearly than other times. And I'm taking my bath, and, and I'm like, where's my phone? Like, where's the Kindle? I need something. Like, I need something to be with me. Right. Yes. And I just realized like, what's wrong with just having nothing and just being in there with your own thoughts and by yourself. And and I sort of realized that like subconsciously, I avoid being with myself. I have, I, I seek out things to take my attention so that I don't have to be in my own head and technology. That's one of the downsides in my opinion of technology. And the quarantine I think has just made that much, much worse, because, you know, now it's either a, you're plugged in every waking moment, or b you have to feel uncomfortable just kind of being with yourself. And I think that's a major problem for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, I'm fortunate in that, you know, that's never been a problem for me. But I've spent times like this, this will freak you out. I can so I drive across the country a lot, and I can remember once I was leaving Vegas, headed for Atlanta, and I just decided that I wanted to see how far I can go with no music. So I turned the radio off, and I'm just driving in silence. And I went about four hours in stone silence, just entertaining myself with my thoughts. And it was like I would think of like funny things that happened like in the past and just like laugh out loud in the car. And if anybody (laughs) saw me, like if I was at a red light (laughs) and someone looked over and this guy is sitting in complete silence, just cracking up, like repeating funny jokes, like, like, you know, I can't think of a good example of this, but like, like maybe some comedian has like, you know, a funny joke they do over and over again. And I'll just like, repeat that joke in the comedian's voice and just entertain myself. I did that for four hours. And there's so many people that couldn't do that for four minutes. You put yeah. them in a car in the middle of the desert and tell them to drive 10 minutes without the radio. I, I,
1: I recently learned how many people that would absolutely break. That, that seems a little crazy to me. Like I, I feel like I could go much longer than 10 minutes if, I, you know, if it was a, a challenge um i, I maybe, know there'
2: you're right, you're right, maybe thirty is, minutes,
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe I, I, there are times like a lot of times when I'm driving that like I will drive four hours and arrive at my destination with almost no memory of driving <laughs> like of like yeah. the process i just, it's like I kind of wake up and I'm just there, um, which feels a little scary, uh but yeah it's i i would i actually when I'm on my a game. I will have days where I unplug for the entire day. I turn every screen off except for the Kindle. Kindle is only counts as a halfway screen to me because I'm reading. And I can't mm-hmm. surf can't surf the web and it's just got books, but yeah, I'll turn my phone off, turn my computer off, turn the TV off and just totally unplug and those are some of the most valuable days of my <laughs> life uh yes. just yeah and I should do it more often, and I don't. And I, you know, the reason is because it's very hard to do so. Like the, the pulls on your attention, everything is engineered to get you to look at it longer, get you to watch longer, get you to listen longer. And yeah, that's uh. So pre COVID, when you had a day like this pre
2: COVID, did you also try to avoid other people and just spend those days to yourself? Or did you kind of replace the, the absence of technology with the presence of other humans?
1: No, nah, I mean I just did my normal thing, you know. And typically, that's if it's so good. if it's a day that's like a Monday, I mean, you, you know, you play poker professionally, so you know, like you're you're at home and nobody's around. <laughs> Nobody, everybody's at work. The world is kind of silent. I mean, I, I have a journal and a fountain pen and like i go to the pool and just kind of write in my journal and think and just kind of lay there and chill out that's pretty much the what my day is comprised of and and i read of course those are the two things that i do
2: that's awesome
1: so you mentioned live poker's opening back up have you been able to play much yet able
2: to yes Um, but because I am an introvert, I've been like, like, I feel like I need to because like everybody talks about, so my coach is, uh, one of my coaches is Ryan LaPlante and he absolutely loves live poker. And he's been tweeting about, Oh, the games are like amazing right now. It's like 2005 poker. And I'm thinking like that free money is there. I need to go to get it. And in the moment I. Think about stepping my toe into that room I think about having to sit at a table with humans that I can't talk to about the one thing that we have in common (laughs) which is poker and so it's like oh my god it's like I'm gonna be there listening to them talk about the things they have in common that I don't give a shit about like baseball or whatever the hell else you know people talk about at the poker table and only thing I want to talk to these guys about is poker, but I can't talk talk to them about poker while I'm playing. So it's like, live poker is not a good experience for me, but that allure of the money is, is big. So I'm making preparations to get back into live poker, but I haven't done it yet.
1: Yeah, you're just an introvert through and through. Uh, it may be bordering on like misanthropy, right? That's the... <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if there was some like, you know, if I had some undiagnosed disorder or something, it's like, yeah, I like even, you know, the most important people say, okay, so this is something that came up to me uh, a second ago. If you gave me the option of either spending time with myself or spending time with my favorite person, it's like a flip. Um <laughs> is it's like like my mom I see my mom like once a year and uh I guess she's sort of like me because there's not like that we we kind of pick up where we left off as soon as we get there I have a friend who's a really good friend of mine who's a female when I moved to the west coast that really hurt her it like it like it really bothered her that I could go this long without, you know, hanging out with her and not be bothered by it. But so the people that are like closest to me just have, have had to get used to that. But um, I don't know, man. I feel like absence makes the heart grow fonder. Like another good friend of mine is Andrew Brokus. Like I usually only see him once a year during the World Series and I miss seeing him this year. But it didn't, like, hurt. <laughs> and the next time I see him, it'd be, you know, even that much cooler. But if you told me that, hey, you haven't seen Andrew for over a year, right now you have the option of seeing Andrew or hanging out, you know, reading a poker book by yourself, it might be, like, 60, 40 in Andrew's favor, even after, <laughs> like, more more than a year. But for some people, like, they would jump off a bridge at an opportunity to see their favorite people after over, you know, a year, but for whatever reason,
1: that has never affected me. A year? Carlos, People, most people jump off a bridge to see their favorite people, like, <laughs> after a week of not seeing them, or maybe even four days. Um, yeah. a, year, a year is a long time. But I, I will say that, like, in my relationships and my friendships, I think that it's fairly normal in my experience as a human to not speak to somebody for six months and then just kind of arbitrarily call them up on the phone or get a phone call and then just pick up right where you left off without without much judgment but
2: yeah that's normal to me also but do you realize how weird we are because of that i didn't realize that we were so much of outliers because of that until i heard other people's experiences through COVID.
1: Yeah, I, I, I guess <laughs> I, I, I guess that's the case. I, I again, I, I don't have a much enough. Blah, blah. I don't have a lot of data to fall back on, so I don't know yeah. how rare it is. I only have my own my own life experience. I do feel call- <laughs> that's the problem with introverts. Yeah, we don't, <laughs>
2: we don't get the feedback from other people because that will require talking to them. So it's hard, <laughs> so it's hard to get the uh, data all in these like social
1: experiments. <laughs> yes for sure um so i assume you've been playing some online poker what's been happening in that space since you're not ready not ready to talk to people yet money has been falling from
2: the sky um ever since i talked to you last uh weirdly enough i think i may have mentioned this last time also but 2020 was probably the best year of my life and uh financially that was definitely true a lot of it was coaching picked up a lot during COVID, which I was surprised about because I thought, you know, with the economy um, being in the tank and when this thing first started, people would have less disposable income. But what actually happened is that more people were forced inside, more poker players were forced inside and they had to play online. So they uh, look for coaching for people who play online. So, My coaching business took off last year. um, And so that was good. And then just me being, um, putting in more volume this year. So last year I put in less volume because I was spending more time doing coaching. This year, people were kind of like getting back out there. So coaching is kind of going down, which allows me to spend more volume playing. And that's been working out really well also. So Financially, man, I have no complaints. I've started a couple of, um, I've I put out a couple of um, poker products, um, so that's helped as well.
1: What are the products?
2: So, so three things that we did this past year and the beginning of this year that you know I'm really happy with. Uh, one is I mentioned Andrew broke it. So so okay this this is a great example of what i was just saying so andrew is a live cash game player so when at higher stakes too so when covid started he was forced indoors forced to play online again which is not something that he's done really since black friday uh very often not only that the sites that we have in the u.s um for the most part the games that are even playable are at stakes that are lower than he's used to, like, you know, say 30, 50, maybe up to like one Oh nines. And so he really didn't have the experience over the past five years or so of how to maximally exploit soft games. Cause he was, he's like the GTO guy and he's used to playing in these tough games where he actually
1: gets to apply that stuff. And was he transitioning to live MTTs from cash? Or online MTTs? He was
2: transitioning from live cash, like 510, 1025, to small to mid stakes online American tournaments.
1: Okay. Why not cash games?
2: I think he, you know what? I never asked him, but I want to say the main site that he has access to is um, ACR. And I think the cash games on ACR are, from my experience when I played in these games years ago, even at the smaller stakes, they were incredibly tough because you would have all these like high stakes players playing those for like the rake race. Um, I can remember this one guy, he would play like 50 tables at once of like 25 NL and lose money almost every month like maybe lose a thousand or two dollars but he will win the rake race for the month for like 10k um
1: yeah i've got my suspicions about those types of things my i i cannot confirm it but i suspect that acr has had a major bot problem for that too <laughs> probably the last 12 or 13 years and i, I remember back in my ultimate bet days uh i wrote a Newsletter about this, but in my ultimate bed days, they had rake races very often where you would win like seats to live 10K events if you were topping the leaderboard. And there was this one guy I played against, he was a short stacker and he would play 14 tables a day or whatever it was for like 12 hours a day or 13 hours a day. And he was break even, slightly losing player, but generated rake back and won money in the promotional wins and i i called my somebody told me that this guy was playing in a live 10k and he was also 14 (laughs) tabling at the same time (laughs) on ub right so uh back then we had vip hosts so i call my vip host i'm like yo victor um this kid paddish you know uh, he's he's a robot like he's playing Twelve tables or fourteen tables while he's in this ten k and Victor's like no Paddish he's not a robot I talked to him he's like you, like he yeah. he's a real person he's like we talked about we talked about that what happened he he just taught his mom how to play you know fourteen cool. tables or whatever it was while he was in that tournament it's no big deal and fail for that <laughs> I, 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 yeah I just kind of like just was dumbfounded <laughs> like yeah yeah I know i i, I didn 't mean he 's like a functioning robot like in, <laughs> in the hell bent on human destruction, like <laughs> but anyway, that was the end of the call, and basically he was still doing whatever he was doing up until Black Friday, um, basically winning the ten k seats uh every month, and yeah, so my suspicion is that there are many people like that guy it, it God only knows it could probably still be him um in the acr streets that i agree with that i think
2: most people that are doing that kind of thing or a lot of people that are doing that kind of thing probably are using bots but the guy that i'm thinking of was legit like he has a video on youtube showing him playing 50 tables at once yeah using using like a like a playstation joystick somehow
1: it's weird but yeah it's bizarre
2: yeah so uh, that's a long way of saying it. I think the cash games are either tougher or riddled with bots to the point where Andrew isn't really interested in playing those I would assume um, and so obviously he's a good player and you know being GTO based he's gonna win in in soft games but he's not gonna win the maximum if he doesn't know how to exploit those player pools without experience so he actually reached out to me for coaching which was like an honor for my coach to request coaching from me mm-hmm. and we recorded a session of me teaching him how to exploit small stakes tournaments and we uh recorded it and we're selling it as a video and it's called exploiting small stakes tournaments uh and it's available on his um store which is knitcast.com I'll get you um links to this stuff later so we don't have to like so people don't have to write down what we're saying.
1: Yeah, it'll be on the show page for them to click through when this episode goes live. Awesome. So I, so
2: first I did that with Andrew and then I did another product which is a bigger like uh, that one the thing with Andrew was like 6 hours I think and then I did one with Alex Fitzgerald, Assassinato, which we spent about 30 hours basically Talking about the same thing, but doing it in like classroom form with quizzes. The thing with Andrew was just like a hand history review. Um, so that one, oh shit, what is that one called? <laughs> that, that one's called uh How to Obliterate Passive Tournaments. I think that's the name of it. That one's on I don't even know what Alex's um I know is it's on I Gun Road it, is where he- yeah, yes. Yeah. So it's on Gumroad, but I know his blog is PokerHeadRush.com, but I assume there's a link from that to get to the um, store on Gumroad, but I don't know the uh, a link directly to the store. And the thing that I'm doing on a daily basis now is something called Thinking Poker Daily, which is a podcast that Andrew, um, his co-host Nate Mavis, and myself are doing Which is, so the Thinking Poker podcast is like this long form podcast, kind of like yours, where we, where he has these interviews with guests and then like a small strategy segment. And there's some people that like really doesn't care. They don't care about the lives of the guests. Like nobody cares. There's certain people that don't give a damn that I live in a car. (laughs) They just want to hear us talk poker. Mm -hmm. So we decided to do a separate podcast called Thinking Poker Daily, where it's only strategy segments every day um, five days a week and that one is on Patreon uh, and it's called Thinking Poker Daily. So those are the three things that I'm doing right now. Again I'll get you links to those and um, that's what I'm spending a lot of my time on now.
1: Yeah I noticed Um, it sounds like your mic is of high quality, like your, your audio is <laughs> sounding good. You're, you're flush with cash. You've got, you know, got the sick mic. you're making all these courses since the last time we talked, you, you also doubled your coaching price, which made me happy. I saw that may have, yes. I, I don't know how your students felt about me <laughs> costing them money, but uh, <laughs> they,
2: I, they requested it before you did really which blew my mind. Like guys would, sign up for coaching and after a couple of lessons they would say you like I can't believe you're doing this for this price like you you should really increase your price I had I'm picturing two guys two guys that actively told me to increase my price one of which tried to pay me more and I refused and he was actually a a famous tennis player he was like uh uh, confused when I refused this money. <laughs> but I was like, but the price is the price, man. I'm not going to take your money just because, you know, you you can afford it. Uh, like this guy's like, you know, millionaire. Uh, but he and one of my other students actively uh, told me to increase, increase my price. And then one or two other students are like, not actively rooting for it, but they were okay with it. And then there's some other people that stopped doing lessons <laughs> when the price went up. But overall, it's worked out well. And I did something else that's kind of cool. I increased my price on your advice for the uh, live, like um, interactive sessions. But I also have so that's 100 bucks an hour. But I also decided to do one for 75 bucks an hour, which is just a recorded hand history review. So you send me the hand history, I record myself going through it with my thoughts and I send a video back to you and you can ask me questions over email. That one, it made the transition easier for a lot of people from the old price of 50 bucks an hour to a hundred. Now there's this halfway point at 75, which is a benefit to them and a benefit to me and my, my, my introvert side because it's like, Less human interaction. Yeah, and you can, win.
1: You you don't get to, you, you don't have to look at your, your <laughs> students that <to> disgust you. <laughs> and, and, and I can do it at two a.m. <laughs> like it's one another, of the yeah,
2: it's another win. One of the tough th- the toughest things about coaching is scheduling. And so when you do when you're doing it your on video and you don't have to worry about scheduling scheduling tech issues when you're doing so much stuff from your car on a spotty like cell phone internet connection. Like being able to do the video has been a benefit for me for that, but yeah, this I, I don't miss those days of like playing phone tag or I guess Zoom tag to try to figure out you know the scheduling for a poker session.
1: Ah oh man, I use acuityscheduling.com. dot com. It's like fifteen bucks a month. I mean, you've used it. You uh you you've yeah. gone through the process now three times, and like you can block off your availabil- availability, set everything. Like that has been a dream i just send the link to my students and they schedule and then basically we i have a policy where if they don't show up then they don't show up and they have to pay because <laughs> i'm prepared and we're ready to go but pretty much everybody shows up on time and that that to me is ideal i would not like exchanging emails and text messages like, Oh, when, when are you free? What's your availability? Um, yeah, that sucked. That was the old days. Now I use,
2: um, Google for that. Um, so it's similar to acuity. Um, but yeah,
1: um, yeah, it's definitely made life a lot easier. And I want to go back a little bit because you, you mentioned somebody offering you more money, which is, it's funny because I've been offered more money as well. Uh, I take the money, though.
2: <laughs> I've <laughs> noticed you a little bit. I've noticed you a
1: little cutthroat there, uh, Brad. I, so, yeah, here, here's a lesson that I learned a long time ago, right? And, and this was a very profound lesson, actually, that mm-hmm. sort of changed my perspective on these types of things. It was like every time I go to lunch with somebody, historically, I always want to pay. I, I just offer to... To pay for the check, it's some. It's just like ingrained in me, right? Mm-hmm. And one time, me and a buddy, we had a you know a little fight over the check where he wanted to pay, and I'm like, no, 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 I got it, man. Don't worry about it, I got it. And he's like, no, 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 let me let me get it. And he he just kind of looked at me and he said, Brad, don't take away my blessing. And I had never thought of it that way. That I, I I'm wanting to be the person that blesses the other person by picking up the check. And he felt good giving me that blessing. And so I've carried that with me that if somebody offers me money, extra money for a product that they found really valuable, you know, they're trying to bless me. And I accept that blessing. And I think that like that makes them feel good, or they feel good about it. And I feel good about it, because you know, it's pretty shocking to get offered extra money after they pay for something um so yeah that that's sort of the framing that that i use in those spots because i i used to be very much yeah, very much the other way of like no no no, let me do it um but i didn't realize what the other person gets out of it you
2: you're really good at um shifting my paradigms i've noticed so this is the second this is the second interview we've done where you've convinced me to do something that was like dogma for me for years. First was um, increasing my poker price, my coaching price, which was like 50 bucks an hour for like four years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you convinced me to change it. And I think you've convinced me to start accepting, you know, these gifts from people. Cause I didn't realize this until you just mentioned it, but the guy who I coach, like I said, famous tennis player. And this was actually live. So I drove to his house at this really nice house on the beach in the car that I lived in. (laughs) And he's a millionaire. And he wanted to just like, you know, when I think of it, the way you said it, he just wanted to, you know, extend some of the blessings he's received in his life. Like, like that can't that might have been the biggest difference ever of social status from poker coach to poker student <laughs> the coach who drives <laughs> to the million dollar house that he lives in that 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 his student lives in in the car that he lives in and that guy <laughs> turned down the extra 100 bucks <laughs> so yeah i i probably shouldn't do that again because i feel the same way when i go home for the holidays you know i'm like Get, oh man, you really just opened my eyes. Like, I'm trying to give money to my grandma, and sometimes she won't take it. And it like pisses me off. Yeah, (laughs) right. (laughs) That's the other side. (laughs) Yeah. I told her during COVID, every time I talk to her, who, her, like, because of COVID, she's the one person that I do try to talk to at least quarterly. <laughs> so, so anytime I call my grandmother, I always end the call with, well, let me know if you need anything because I'm doing pretty good right now. And she says, okay. And she never lets me know. And one day I was talking to her recently and she was complaining about her high gas bill. And I was like, "What? Uh, uh, why didn't you tell me? And she was like, because I didn't need anything. And I had to explain to her, you know what? things." doesn't just include, like, physical things, <laughs> like, like, I know you don't need a can of beans, you got all the beans you need, but, you know, things include pay, paying your gas bill, so, yeah, that was one of the uh, blocks, but a lot of it is just, like, people just don't like asking for help, and it's not, like, you know, I'm having to explain to her, it's not, like, a handout, like, you're my grandmother, like, I owe you, you know, but life, basically, and so I feel bad, when she doesn't take my money, and I didn't think about how other people could feel that way when I don't take theirs.
1: Yeah, it's just uh, I, I think people don't want to be vulnerable, and and I think that asking for help is you know requires vulnerability, right? Like we want yeah. to be self sufficient. We we don't want to struggle. We want to be able to pay our gas bill, and there might be a little bit of shame behind it too. You know, it, it's uh, yeah. it's tough navigating human emotions in the world i'm with you like any any of my friends any of the people that are in my inner circle that i would owe my life to i would be so happy to help them in any of their struggles in life and you know they, they very rarely reach out you know just my grandparents effectively raised me as well and i tell them every time we talk on the phone like Feel free to call whenever you want. Like I'm always around. If you want to talk to me on the phone, call me. And, you know, that's how most every phone call ends. And then we talk three months down the line (laughs) Um, whenever I I, I call them up. But yeah, it's uh, it's navigating humanity is just uh, it's very very tricky and we get dogmatic in the things that we think about ourselves you know carlos maybe if you interacted with more people you <laughs> learn things faster
2: <laughs> yeah i think so i think so
3: <laughs> the decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy too tight and they know what you have too loose and you're easy to run over. The Preflop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now.
1: John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a preflop bootcamp.
0: Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do, had impressed me. I loved the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour and loved that. And then I took coaching, and then You recommended the boot camp, and at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable, but I was like, everything else has been amazing, so I signed up, and then it just blew me away.
1: And what about boot camp blew you away?
0: Like, it started off slow, like, I'm learning these ranges, and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about, and then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, all of a sudden, it just kind of hit me and i was like oh my god how do i not know this stuff this is amazing the more i studied them i started to understand why they were constructed sometimes like i'd be like that's why that's like that and that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general
1: do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience
0: The most interesting thing about the boot camp, it's a pre-flop boot camp, but I feel like it's done as much for my post game as it did for my pre-game, just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end
1: as well. I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study? Oh it's
0: crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to to know that stuff ten years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap and it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you.
1: If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop Bootcamp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, head to chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp.
2: There's this great video from a couple of years ago that I made for YouTube um, where, so I had my first big score in 2015. I won the Bavada major for 27K at a time when my net worth was probably like 3K. And um,
1: that was when you were in a hotel in Atlanta, right? Yes. So you've probably seen this video. No, you uh, told me about it in the first time. Oh, pod. I told you about yeah. it.
2: Okay, so, so there's a video of this, by the way. I'll get you a link to that also. So I won this thing, and um, I recorded myself um, at my grandmother's house sharing some of that money with my grandmother and my mom, and I didn't really warn them. Um, like, um, I didn't give them an the opportunity to say no. I just showed up, told them about all this money I won, and I gave them money and it wasn't much it was like 300 bucks a piece and my grandmother cried and like my and she and she was like yeah cuz she says on the video like yeah cuz I was struggling with my gas bill this month like she's telling me this after I gave her the money now she wouldn't have mentioned this you know if I uh asked her about it ahead of time but because I the money was already in her hand she knew that she wasn't allowed to give it back to me she basically told me what she uh, needed it for. So yeah, those type of moments, like that moment, which is called on tape, was a blessing for me. And based on her tears and her response to it, it was a blessing for her also. And I think we probably do need to be more open to giving
1: and receiving like that. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that being the maybe the best $600 that you've ever spent in your life, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. And what's funny, <laughs> what's funny is Andrew used to get on to me, uh, like the good coach that he is, uh, about doing that too much when it was a smaller, a bigger percentage of my bankroll. Because I did basically the same thing the year before. Or was it, it was either the year before or earlier that year, I went to the WSOP for the first time. And grinded sit and goes a uh, single table satellite, and I think I went out there with about two thousand, and I made like a two thousand profit, so I came back with like four four k and I gave away like a thousand of it to my grandmothers and like my friends' kids who were going to college, I was like buying books and stuff, and he was like, "Dude, you can't give away a quarter of your bankroll every time you 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 know make some money but uh this time it was a much smaller percentage of the money I made. So that that time was cool. Um so yeah, I, I enjoy doing things um for people back home um because I'm one of the few people in my family that has that sort of disposable income. So it feels good to like come home during Christmas every year and get to play Santa Claus.
1: Yeah, I, I can imagine. Um and it, that's just awesome. Like, it just makes me feel so good. Uh, I, I've always loved you anyway. And now even more so. Like, that's just a really great story. And Bruckus being the Grinch, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll ask him about that. He's going to come come back on in a couple of weeks. And <laughs> I'll ask him about that. But, you know, it, he does have a point in that when you're building your bankroll, right? Like, there will be times when there will be a time, assuming you have an edge and you're a good poker player, that once your bankroll is built, you can help people out tons. And early on with a small bankroll and the risk of ruin is just so high that it's tough, you know? Yeah, he he
2: just gave me the advice, the advice to not sell my printing press.
1: Yeah, that's and my so, caro.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so 2013, yeah. Two or $3,000 is like my net worth. Because I didn't give all that away on his advice, I've now built that up to like, you know, I'll use one of my, I like to steal smart words from Andrew and Nate. So they like to say orders of magnitude. <laughs> so now my bankroll is now, my bankroll is now orders of magnitude bigger than that because I didn't give it all away on Andrew's advice. So he was right. There's now more money for everybody,
1: uh, for me to give away because I didn't give it all away in the beginning. So, since your bankroll is orders of magnitude larger, what what events are you grinding these days? Like, what's your average buy-in, tournament-wise?
2: My average buy-in is probably somewhere between one hundred and fifty and two hundred online. Um, but I play pretty much whatever I want. Like that number, that average is going up because thankfully over the past year or two, Ignition or or Bavada, is uh, they're doing more $500,000 buy-in tournaments. And if you'd asked me, like, you know, it would have been a dream to play something like that, you know, three or four years ago. And now it's just like every time they run it, I play it multiple bullets if I have to, like, just doesn't matter. So. Buy-in got, direct? Yes. Yes. That's another thing. I used to grind satellites. I can't be bothered with <laughs> uh, I can't be bothered with the satellites anymore. Uh, which, which is hilarious for me to say. If I, if I could go back and tell old Carlos that, you know, he would be so pissed at me, <laughs> like, like, not grinding the satellites. But uh, also, I don't play the smaller buy-ins anymore. Like, I'll cut my teeth on, like, the Twenty and thirty dollar games. Now, I just refuse to play anything less than a hundred dollars, and so that average is going to, you know, continue to go up. So, yeah, I'm I'm in a good spot, man. And I would have never guessed how that this how,
1: how did that happen over the past three years of just even gaining the level of comfortability to hop into a five hundred and fire multiple bullets. That's a great that's a great
2: story too. I, I can remember when all these things happened. So. The year must have been something like 2016, 2017. And I was in an Airbnb in Atlanta during the holidays. And I was playing, I was rolled for maybe like $30 tournaments. And I remember playing $30 tournaments on Ignition. Now you got to remember, like during this time, this is when a lot of these like poker coaching programs and all this stuff is coming out. I don't know if solvers were a thing at the time, but like Snowy was. And there's so many ways for people to get better at poker. But I felt like people were getting worse. Like on Ignition, it was like, these people suck. They are like just giving money away. And I decided one day on that trip is like, you know what? I'm not rolling for the $50 games, but I'm going to try them just to see how they are. I tried them and they were softer than the $20 games, And I was like, no way. And I was like, you know what? I remember saying this to myself. See, this is the type of shit I think about when I'm driving four hours and like laughing hysterically in my car. I remember saying to myself one day, this site is either gonna break me or make me rich. But I'm not not gonna stick to my bankroll management because every time I move up, the game seemed to get softer. I never thought something like that would be true but it was. And so I just, you know, took a chance and fought the $50 games. It went well for me. Um, You know, for the people listening, I did have a backup plan because my role at the time was probably like five grand. Like, you know, I had a job that I can, I could rebuild that role if I needed to. And um, so the $50 games were soft. That worked out. So I was like, let me try the $100 games. I did. They were soft as well. So the way I, to answer your question, the way I got to the $500 and $1,000 games was just shot taking and realizing that these games are softer. And I completely threw bankroll management out the window when my role was small and easier to replace. But as I've moved up, you know, I'm not going to, like, if I, (laughs) the 1Ks on Ignition are pretty soft. If they start firing 10Ks and they're softer, (laughs) Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be willing to take that leap because if I bust a bankroll that has the ability to fire 10Ks, that one's not easily replaced like the 5K bankroll was. So I'll take take a shot probably. I'll probably start back playing satellites then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they'll be expensive satellites though. So there'd be like a 1K a bullet for a satellite to a 10K.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I, to answer your question, I threw bankroll management management out of the window and got lucky.
1: And- I, Carlos, I actually think that this is like a, one of the more fundamental misunderstandings about bankroll management is like what you said to me is the way that it ought to be. Like when you have 5k, I, I see people just get bogged down and stuck in like the micros and they're like, I had a guy, we were having a discussion, and he was telling me that he didn't want to deposit ever again. And he built up like a fifty dollar deposit to fifteen hundred. And he's like, When I whenever I build this up to like three thousand, then I'll move up to hundred and l. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like trying to challenge him. I'm like, Do you think you can beat hundred and l? What's your sample size? What's your win rate? He's got like whatever 700,000 hands and a win rate of like 7 or 8 BBs per 100 and I couldn't convince him. I couldn't convince him that like it's okay to take shots with 1500 because you can replace that. Um you know you know what ultimately did convince him though? It what was that. It was me asking him how many hands per hour he averaged and dividing that by the hands that he had played. And showing him that his hourly rate playing poker was like a dollar and eleven cents an hour. That was uh, that was the lightning bolt or the lightning bolt or light bulb moment where he was like, "Okay, yeah, I see. I'm I'm being kind of ridiculous here." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good way to that's a good way to open people's eyes to that. Yeah, I mean, three like like you said, you know, five thousand is not. A small amount of money, but it is replaceable. 1000 is replaceable. And when your bankroll is 1000, you can take more risks because it's replaceable. When your bankroll is 100,000. That's where you have to start protecting it, right? Like that's where you need to start practicing better bankroll management, just because it's much more difficult to replace 100k than it is 1k.
2: Right, exactly. And especially for someone like myself, who came from nothing and in a lot of ways still lives like he has nothing. It's it very, very important for me not to screw this up. And because I got a lot of people that aren't really like they're dependent on me, they just don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> like my grandmother's dependent on me, but she just doesn't know she's dependent on me. Like I'm I'm like the insurance policy for a lot of people in my family. And so for me to blow it at this point would be a disaster, which is probably one of the reasons I still live like, you know, I'm still playing those 10 and $20 games.
1: I think it's sort of artificial fear at this point for you anyway, because I don't think you can blow it be- because your network knows you, trusts yeah. you, and you have results if you lost everything tomorrow but still maintained cognitive ability, you would be in action just because of your network, you know? So really there there shouldn't be a ton of fear, really any fear, because you you got people that believe in you that would be happy to happy to stake you and keep <laughs> you in action, you know. Obviously you, you don't want that, but like just saying. Here's the other thing that you'll probably give me some pushback on. Sure.
2: When I was starting, I did have people that staked me. Mm-hmm. And, or just people like, you know, I don't want to use the word fans, but like people who don't know me personally, but they know my story and we kind of like interact online. They would like buy pieces of me in tournaments. It hurts so much worse to lose their money than it did mine. I never want to go back to that. Like the pieces. Yeah, I don't mind doing that. Like, I don't mind giving people a sweat, like if I'm playing something big. But when I have friends staking me, and I, like, like you know, they basically, I mean, staking me as opposed to buying pieces.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: When I lost their money, it hurt, like, five to ten times more than when I lost my own money. Well, would you stake S- Bruckus? Uh, yeah. You know, he never asked me which kind of pisses me off, but I haven't, I never mentioned that to him. Like he, like he, he'll sell pieces when he, when he uh, does like the WSOP, but he has like, you know, this list of investors that he'll send emails out to and I'm not on that list. <laughs> Part of the reason I think is because I was broke <laughs> the last <laughs> couple of times he's played the WSOP, but you know, I can, I can, I can afford a one ball now, you know, I got to get on that list, man. But okay. to answer your question, yeah, I would buy a piece of them.
1: Right, and would you feel bad when you bust? No. No.
2: See? It's just like the other thing we talked about. For whatever reason, I have a problem receiving and no problem giving. And I also have a problem losing other people's money, but I don't have a problem at all when they lose mine.
1: Yeah, I I mean – I don't enjoy losing other people's money either. You know, it's not, but the reality is like the times that I have sold action or been backed are, is because for a variety of reasons. One is access. I think there's a lot of really good cash games that you can only get access through having a contact who speaks a different language than you <laughs> that can get you into those types of games and they play and just like really, really big stakes. But I wouldn't feel good losing, like, fan money, you know? I would feel I'm okay if it's a professional backing situation where the investor knows the deal and knows the risks and understands. And basically, my only job is to go out there and perform. I think there are a lot of uh, toxic backing situations. Like, I, I buy people's action in my community if they're playing mistake that makes them feel uncomfortable or the game gets kicked up to a level that makes them feel uncomfortable and i'm happy to because these people are killers but i understand the risks and also i don't badger them about what happened which is yeah. a thing yeah. that i think backers go horribly wrong on is like wanting to know why you busted out exactly the the specifics and it's like look like you've got the money i'm the expert let me do my thing and let's just realize that at at the end of this, both of us will be profitable. But, uh, yeah, I think that that's like the backing situation that that in my mind is ideal where it's just a professional situation. There's trust, mutual trust. And yeah, everybody understands the risks. Yeah. Yeah. That that's,
2: that's one I never got into because I have like a big time fear of uh, makeup. So I never uh, reached out for like a, um, a deal through like a backing house. But when I started with cash games, I used to play some one, two live cash games. And a friend of mine who was um, in good shape financially, he understood poker. So it wasn't a deal. It wasn't a, a big deal for me to lose his money. But so basically we would both play live cash games together, but because of work and family issues, he got busy and he couldn't play anymore. So he was like, okay, I'll just give you my bankroll and just stake you that way. So he gave me his bankroll at the time for, which was like, you know, two or three grand. And I like lost it in a month. And it was like, so (laughs) losing 2K of his money probably felt the same as like losing 10K of my money. Yeah. Even though, even though it wasn't professional in the way you explain, but it was more professional than say if I lost 2K of my mom's money, who doesn't know anything about poker but it still
1: it still felt worse you and love I, you love people a lot for somebody that I doesn't really like people i love people really a like lot people. for people
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's a that's a, a great way of putting it and uh, and this 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 uh you might be part of this problem also but there's one or two people where i'm the biggest part of the problem but you guys are my accessories where this notion goes around that carlos hates people and like, I, I've been in, in settings with uh, someone similar to you, who I've had these conversations with, and they'll say it in a group setting with people who don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll think, wait, 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 it's not that. And then I have to explain it. So what I like to explain is that it's not that I hate people. I just don't like strangers. And I don't like interacting with strangers. That's, that's the thing. But I do love people from a distance. Just not up close and personal with
1: most people i i know you do and <laughs> we, I, I can actually pull out the clips of you talking about you not liking people and <laughs> run, that, run that's, a replay. Say, that's why i'm the
2: biggest problem because there's evidence <laughs> out there like yeah. I, I should i should have like if 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 we could if you take those sound bites out of context then yeah you could definitely
1: uh uh back up that statement, for sure. <laughs> yeah, just um, I only need to talk to my mom twice a year. I'm cool. Uh, it's a flip if I want to hang out with Brocus or read a book by myself. I mean, it, it doesn't even really need to be taken out of context. <laughs> it's not. It's
2: not that I dislike these people. It's that I just like myself more than I probably should. Maybe.
1: Yeah, that's actually that's a that's a good way of framing. You just love you, which. <laughs> hey, more power to you, man. That's actually pretty a pretty enviable trait.
2: Yes, yes.
1: We got to teach that, man. We got to find a way to
2: teach that to more people.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we're by ourselves. We're with ourselves more than we're with any other human on existence. So we may as well enjoy those moments. Yes. Let's uh, – so my prediction at the onset of this conversation, I, I did have questions – but we haven't, we've just gone past all of it, which is totally great because then we just get to do a round four and you get to interact with another human. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of your favorite things. Have you made any purchases in the last year that have been impactful to your poker game? Poker game. So
2: I would say two things that have really helped out a lot. One, a uh, three hours, uh, Two That's helped out a lot, and one that's I'm hoping it helps out going forward. Um, um learnpropoker.com is uh, my coach's Ryan LaPlante's training site. That has been a big game changer for me over the past, has it been now like 12 to 16 months or so? Highly recommend that. Another one was Solve for Why, did this, um, discount during COVID for their online site, which was like nine bucks a month or something. But unfortunately it went back up to 50 and, um, I didn't use it that much. Uh, but during that time when it was nine bucks a month, it's mostly cash game stuff, which I don't play, but my friend Matt Hunt has a, um, some tournament material on there and also Berkey The tournament stuff on there is great even though it's only something like 10 or 20 percent of the site the tournament stuff on there is really great um so those two things um have really helped me over the past year or so but one of the good things about increasing your bankroll is that eventually you know you're going to have to play against people who are trying to win and so Uh, I'm having to try to learn some of this GTO shit everybody talks about all the time, (laughs) uh, unfortunately. And so I just um, signed up for one of the um, higher tiers on DTO, which is Dominic Nietzsche, I think is his name, Dominic Nietzsche's site. So I'm using that to try to learn some of the GTO stuff. Uh, So that really hasn't helped me yet because I haven't really played against tough players in like, it feels like a decade but as i as live poker opens back up i think eventually i'm going to have to play against some tougher players and so i want to have like half a clue um so 6 months from now i'll be a little bit better than gto than i am right now
1: i i was under the impression that learn pro poker and ryan leplant stuff was pretty heavily solver based it's like half and half you have a lot of it that's solver based that
2: all kind of like you know, breeze through and not pay much attention to, but a lot of it is exploitative. And the biggest draw to the site for me has been his weekly. He does a weekly coaching group coaching session that's included with the uh, monthly purchase price, which I don't know, it's like 40 bucks or something. And um, during that, the thing actually is on Wednesday. So it's like an hour from now, he will be, uh, we will be like submitting hands and he just spends like two hours going over hand histories and that obviously the people who are submitting hands aren't playing high stakes. So that is the exploitative stuff. And that's why I get most of my value from the site. There is a lot of GTO stuff on there, but I don't pay as much attention to that.
1: Well, the solver outputs are only as good as the inputs. And if you're playing against people who's, inputs are not reflected in whatever sim you ran then the output is pretty much useless
2: um yes you you know what let me let me jump in here because i forgot i I need to ask you about something Mm -hmm. so i mentioned that the um that i do this podcast thinking poker daily and we had a question that we went over where the answer that i gave in the question kind of like Uh, was contradictory to something that one of our listeners heard from you. Mm -hmm. So he said, you should really talk to Brad about this because I think you have this wrong. I was like, okay, I got an opportunity to talk to Brad. So here's the hand. Nine-handed cash game, soft cash game, and you get a big open from um, under the gun, and Hero calls in, no, I'm sorry, Hero opens big from under the gun, nine-handed cash game, and villain calls from the small blind. Mm-hmm. And the flop is like uh, Ace-X rainbow. Um, kind of like disjointed board. And the small blind, who's not a great player, donks out for like a pot size bet, a pretty big bet.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And the these um what's the word we use uh, correspondent the co- the correspondent see I have to use all these big words when I'm working <laughs> with Andrew and Nate uh, I would just say caller but you know these guys are like you know Ivy League people or
1: something let's just call him <laughs> likely a fish who yes. flat flats from the small blind right
2: yes so this guy leads out on Ace high board and we go into this discussion about incentives like what incentives does this guy have to be bluffing in this situation this board is at a pretty big range advantage um given the position we're opening and, and hero's hand is like a weak ace like a seven suited or something like that mm-hmm. and so uh after talking about it i was like i think gto would probably call here but i think i like making an exploiter fold in this spot and so, oh, it's exploitative. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's definitely exploitative. <laughs> and so, and the the guy who um, uh, challenged me on it said, "Well, Brad has run 11 million hands in this scenario. He's got like a database sample of 11 million hands where he says it's better to just call down all three streets as opposed
1: to making this exploitable exploitative fold in this spot." So here's the problem. the The problem is. So I have a product that I have released it's called neutralize flop leads on this very specific <laughs> this very specific scenario and the problem with me giving feedback is that the strategy is so simplified and optimized that I'm afraid of giving the course away just by talking about it out loud Gotcha Just to answer your question don't fold top pair <laughs> like don't fold top pair to a flop donk. That's the that's the nuts and bolts of the the situation. And it's the data is very um specific and yeah, it, it's like a thing that you know this is sort of the the difference in like data and theory is that I've seen what villains do this with and it doesn't make any rational or logical sense and that's a problem when you're trying to logic and rationalize your way through the decision making process is like sometimes fish especially will just take actions with hands that are totally inappropriate i mean how many times do you are, are you playing a tournament right you make a call down and like you get shown this just god awful what on earth did you just do there type of hand well with data it reflects those god-awful decisions that they make and you get very you gain a lot of clarity on the things that they're they're taking those lines with so the long and short of it is don't fold top pair to a a donk and i'll give that away totally for free never ever ever in any universe fold top pair to a donk
2: (laughs) Okay, so I won't. We won't get too much into into d- the details of it because it's uh, what's the other big word? I I always get stuck trying to use these big words. Uh, proprietary is that the P- word? Proprietary, yeah. <laughs> propri- propri- proprietary uh, information, but I will say um, I don't have the the data set that you have, and also this was a cash game hand. I'm not a cash game player, so I have to defer to you there. But I will say I have some of that same not same type of data, but I do get a chance to see when I'm playing in tournaments, when I face these sort of bets on Ignition of Bravada because they release all the whole cards 25 hours later, 24 hours later after the tournament ends, whether or not you know the hands went to showdown. So I'll say, I'll just put this caveat out there. In my experience, in the games that I play, which are completely different from the um, games that this um, question was about, I'm seeing a lot of spots where calling down three streets with a weak top pair would have cost me money. So I, on one hand, I kind of want to say we got to agree to disagree, but not really because I think we're talking about two different game types
1: and yeah. two different sample sizes.
3: Haven't or, or seen the data pools. for
1: haven't seen the data for MTTs and yeah, yeah.
3: the
1: the The data is actually data is I'm in love with it, and sometimes it can be a bit shocking. And especially when I was creating uh, neutralized flop leads, or as I fondly call it, nuffle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> while I was I like making that. while I was making nuffle, I had the thought of like, is this real life? Like, is this any semblance of reality? So I got my student on the line who plays high stakes and he's got a decent database. And so we just filtered and looked, because on Ignition, like you said, you can see all the whole cards. So we had, you know, a hundred scenarios and we just went through them. And sure as shit, the data didn't lie. Like the data was pretty much on point. I, I went through my own database and it was just confirmation city. And yeah, it, it's the data is very, very exciting to me, way more exciting than like solvers or even GTO because I, I've been a little, I, I've been a little uh, antagonistic towards solvers, I guess, over the last 10 years when, when people i guess like 6 or 7 years however long you know pio's been a thing and even before pio there was like card runner's EV, right like i said before pio's a calculator and if right. if the if the output doesn't match reality then you can't trust the output and data shows you reality it shows yes. you what people are doing in these spots and that is very very exciting because Now I don't have to like theoretically prepare. Now I can see what people are doing in these spots. And if I want to check a river call, I can. And I know, you know, what the specific ranges are given specific lines. And so, yeah, to me, that's just like the, it seems crazy that people train in any other way. Um, Now, when you're playing against regs and pros, you need Theory, you need strong theory because you can't just kind of look at their strategy and immediately find all of the holes because their strategies are typically much stronger. Um, and and it's not that simple. But as it relates to like uh, weak players or fish, yeah, data to me is just everything. And theory, I don't really, I, I don't even care about the theory. To be honest with you, <laughs> like yeah. like people be like, oh, theoretically we're supposed to do this, and I'm like, I don't care. Doesn't matter. That's all, yeah, data That's tells me I otherwise. Feel.
2: Yeah, for years, I I felt that way, and I still do. But as I, like I mentioned, as I move up to play against um, tougher players, I'm kind of like being, I, I f- I'm feeling forced to dip my toe into the theory. So I wish I could just like never, well, I guess I could <laughs> just never play against tough players. Hopefully, Ignition will continue to add higher buy-ins as my bankroll increases, because those players are never going to be tough.
1: Just n- know this, Carlos. Just keep this, bear this in mind that no matter how hard you work, your edge over the really good players is never going to be massive. And their edge over you is never going to be massive. So as you're learning more uh, theoretically sound strategies, just remember, always exploit the weaker players because that's where the majority of your money comes from.
2: That's how I got here. That's how I got here is exploiting the weaker players. So I'll never give that up. The only thing that confuses me about this product is that it's not called
1: dismantling dumb dunk bets. (laughs) You know, this was an edible at eight type thing. and (laughs) Honestly, I feel like I almost played a joke on, on my uh, community and my listeners because I, I was sitting there trying to come up with a catchy name or a catchy acronym. Right. And I'm like flop donks flop leads. And I was like, on thesaurus.com, like trying to figure out like what word I want to use. And I'm like, neutralize flop bleeds, because like it has the NFL acronym. And edible and eight, man. It sometimes it gets weird. Like 9 30 p.m. I just start laughing to myself because I'm like, I'm gonna go through all this trouble to come up with an acronym everybody can remember easily. And then I'm gonna call it something totally different. Just just for my own amusement, um, yeah. and that's where Nuffle I, was born. <laughs> I was like, for a guy who claims to love alliteration, I might have missed the value back there. <laughs> I, I did, you know. It, it's hard sometimes, you know. Like fish in a barrel is another one of my courses. No alliteration, but gets the point across. Uh, Tactical Tuesday—that's my—that's my alliterative. That's the strategy segment on on chasing poker greatness that y'all kind of do on a daily basis is my weekly Tuesday show. Well, people will see when I give you the links to my products,
2: none of our names are good. Our names are so bad that I can't even remember them half the time. <laughs> like the thing with Andrew is called Exploding Small Stakes Tournaments Premium Video Series or something like that. And I was like, why did we name it that? The original <laughs> <laughs> the original name was going to be called Coaching Andrew because we did another one when I was just starting with Cash Games where Andrew coached me and it was called Coaching Carlos. So this is going to be like a role reversal thing. yeah. But then we realized that people who don't know us won't know what that, you know, they, they won't know what this is really about. So that's why we decided to change the name. And we we should have came up with a cool acronym like you did, but the name is just too damn long. The acronym will have seven letters in it or something.
1: <laughs> like <laughs> Nuffle has taken a life of its own. Like people, like one of my students will send me messages talking about how they Nuffle fucked somebody. And I'm like, man, <laughs> <I love that. laughs> like, it's, it's like turned into a verb. Um, and I'm like imagining the logo and like, yeah, it's it it's been what I thought would be the worst of product names that I've come up with so far. And it's turned out to be far and away the best.
2: <laughs> That's awesome, man.
1: Well, man, it's it's been great talking to you. And it's good. We left the template blank. So we can just have you back on, you know, in six months or so. You mentioned the projects that you're working on that are near and dear to your, your heart. But if you have any that you left out, give you an opportunity to plug those.
2: The main thing I would say is that if anyone's interested in my story or just learning more about me or interacting with me, um, most of my poker time, most of my poker socializing time is spent on Twitter and my Twitter handle is uh, HipHop101Trivia. Um, there's a story behind that as well. I told you I love trivia.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, actually, I, I did know your Twitter username, so that does make sense.
2: Yeah, Uh, so um, you can find me there and if there's something I left out here you'll probably find it posted there All
1: right, man Um, great hearing from you as always take care be safe and we'll talk to you in yeah six months or so
2: sounds good Brad thank you for having
3: me my pleasure in a world where a fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do one man Coach Brad Wilson has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasing slash Nuffle. Rated R.